and good morning, church. How are you? Yeah? All right. Like three of you are good. So that's enough. That's enough to get going, right? Hey, we're going to be in uh, John chapter 8. So we're taking a little break from Acts this week and focusing on this passage that you just saw on the screen in, in our uh, a video there. This idea of freedom that's found actually in the mouth of Jesus. I mean, he speaks this, and it's not the only time he actually speaks these words about freedom. Now, Paul picks up on this later in his epistles and his letters, and he speaks about freedom as well. And so uh, we're going to talk about, like, what do they mean? What are they talking about when they talk about freedom? So happy Fourth of July to you. Hope you have a great day lined up and uh, to celebrate uh, the freedoms that we have here in this country. And uh, I hope you get to do it in a, a fun way today. And so we're so uh, thankful and we are blessed and we have the blessing of freedom. Like everything we've been talking about in the book of Acts up till now, we actually have the freedom legally to go do what we're talking about, to go share our faith, to invite people to church, to share Jesus with people. We have that great freedom. Now, that doesn't mean that people all around the world, even if they don't have this freedom, are not out there doing that. They're sharing Jesus, and it's amazing. In fact, Christianity is flourishing mainly in countries that do not have this type of freedom. But as believers here in America, we should look and be grateful for the freedom we have to share. And then, therefore, we should go actually do that, share our faith. Everything we've been talking about in the book of Acts up till now. I want to challenge you over the next three weeks in the, in the month of July. Um, now, don't stop at the end of July, but let's just kind of focus in July that you would invite one person along to church with you every week, just at least one person. That's three weeks remaining, three Sundays remaining. Just invite one person along with you, somebody you know, a friend, a family member. Those are the people that are easiest to invite sometimes. Or maybe you run into a total stranger and the conversation just goes that way. Um, whatever it looks like, three weeks, as things are kind of opening up, people are more open to coming into being back in a group, especially a smaller group like this. So uh, invite next three weeks, three people, three weeks, and let's kind of exercise uh, that freedom we've been talking about in Acts to invite. So let's jump right into our passage this morning. Let me read it to you, and then what we're going to do is we're going to just walk through it and just break down a little bit of what it means to the people it was written to, but then what does it mean to us? So John chapter 8, starting in verse 31, take a look uh, at this. To the Jews who had believed in him, remember that phrase, very important. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Wow. Nine o'clock service. You brought it this morning with that. Very good. Oh, so let's just jump right into this. Verse 31, we just read it. it. It says this, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teachings. Now, just before this passage, this section of the passage we just read, it says this is written to believers. That's very important to remember the context of what we're talking about up till now. 
Because what we like to do is when we're reading a passage like this, and it talks about remaining in me, and you are my really my disciples if you do this, this is what we like to do. We like to turn this into a faith versus works debate on salvation. And listen, we're agreed. We're solidified. We are not saved. Salvation does not come to us in the Lord because of the amount of works or good deeds that we do. It is by the grace of God that it comes to us. That's a little mood music for you this morning for the sermon there. We just want it to, to come a little stronger there. Yeah. This is, this is not my accompaniment track, so I won't be singing along with this this morning. So, uh, try a computer or something like that. All right, we'll just let it play. That's all right. I appreciate that. So, so where was I? I don't know. What were we talking about? Yeah, yeah, we like to turn it into this faith versus works debate. It is not. It has nothing to do with this, this passage. All right? This is spoke to believers. These are people who have already solidified their faith in Jesus Christ. All right? So now Jesus is talking about how do you live this out? How do you be a disciple? How do you not put yourself back in the bondage that you were releasing yourself from when you believed on Jesus Christ? These questions are all significant for us today. And so that's what we're going to look at here. If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. So the word hold to, look at your translation if you have your Bible in front of you. I'm guessing some of your, some of yours says live in, hold to, or the word abide. Anyone got abide out there in their translation? Yes, the word abide. Now, this is really what the word means. It means to live in, to dwell in, not just dwell with. But dwell in. Now, I remember when I first bungee jumped. Let me step back. The only time I ever bungee jumped. When I walked up the staircase, that was freaky enough. I'm not crazy about heights. I got strapped in here. They said, hey, you can jump off backwards or head first or however you want. Not a chance. I was just going to gently step off foot first. They won't push you. You have to step off yourself. That was freaky enough. And the moment I began to feel that kind of loss uh, of any stability and falling, I clutched and held on to that, uh, that bar, that rope that was in front of me with everything I had as if that was going to do anything, right? But it took one bounce and you went back up and kind of felt the safety and you kind of let go. I don't think I've ever clutched on to anything so tight in my whole life. Like I can remember just how intense I grabbed onto that. That's not what we're talking about in this passage though. You know, clutching on, holding on to something, grabbing it and grabbing it for dear life. That's what we read in sometimes when we, when we hear the word hold on to, right? This phrase meaning live in, it's actually a pregnancy term. So think about that metaphor. So like your child is dependent on you, living and growing in you. That's kind of the term. That's better metaphor for what this word means, to live in. And so look at it now. If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. If you live in my teaching, if you abide in my, then you're really my disciples. Jesus actually has this mindset that to be his followers, we are going to like put ourselves 
fully, fully in, where we're totally dependent on what he's teaching us, on how he's telling us, this is how you live. This is how you process life. This is how you depend on God. This is how you live in the Holy Spirit. And that we would say, I'll be totally dependent on that. Totally dependent. Now, you're going to still be growing, right, on your own, but you're dependent upon what Christ is offering you. That's what Jesus is saying. We get nothing ever from Jesus. That it's simply declaring a belief system one time, and you're good to go in Christianity. We get nothing remotely close. People try to take a few passages about Paul that Paul writes in his letters, and they try to take those and take a singular passage out of context and say that. It's just about, you know, just faith. If you just have faith, you're good to go. But we don't really get this picture when we see the holistic, especially New Testament here. We get much more about what Jesus is saying, this abiding in. Listen, I hope already, but if it's not, let me lead you there. That you would thinking, be thinking about your Christianity right now on how does it match up to this term abide as we've just described it. Jesus says, if you abide in my teaching, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Now, this is how it's actually written in Greek. It, it flips it. It says, truly my disciples, you are. Truly my disciples, you are. If what? You abide in me. Abide in my teachings. Put yourself fully in that. Listen, uh, what Jesus is getting at here is if you stick, if you want to stick with it, you have to stick with it, excuse me, to be considered a disciple. But I mean, we got to live out this faith thing in everything we do to be considered a disciple. Why? Because the word disciple, it actually means this. I don't know if you knew this. The word disciple means learner. And you are learning, and you are growing constantly if you are a disciple. Like, there is no, like, Christian plateau. If you just get to it, you're good to go, right? Just sit and watch the world from there. We're constantly living and growing as a disciple, a follower of Jesus. If you hold to my teaching. The second verse says this, verse 32, then you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. So this abiding, this holding on to it is going to get us something, right? If you do this, then you're going to know this. You're going to know the truth. Now, people love to quote this passage in all different ways. In fact, most of us, what we like to do is we like to decide what we strongly believe have some stance on some issue, right? And then we like to quote this passage to back up our stance because we always believe our stance is truth, right? Whatever we have, it's true, right? I mean, you go to the ice cream shop, chocolate or vanilla, you know, well, chocolate, the truth will set you free. Come on, you know, that kind of, I mean, that, that's silly, but that's kind of how we do this with this passage. But the context that we just read, Jesus said, look, if you hold to my teachings, if you will follow me, then you'll know the truth. Then you'll know the truth. And the truth is going to set you free. It's this truth. What is this truth? What does this look like? Well, if we would look more and more on what Peter, then Paul, we even get it in John's writings a bit, we would really understand what they meant by this abiding in Christ or this truth. It would really boil down to one simple thing, believing in Jesus, believing in him. Now, we mix it up a little bit. 
we think believing, oh, that means I just need to have a belief system in order. But what did we just read? It goes beyond a belief system. What are you actually doing with that belief system? What does your abiding in Christ actually look like? What is truth? It is believing in Jesus. But there's a, a word there, this know, this word. Now, there's a couple different words for know in the New Testament. Um, let me share with you the one that shows up here. It's a word called gnosko. And this is what it actually means, to know by experience. Anybody l ever learned anything by experience, right? You ever learned the hard way on something, right? If you've never learned something the hard way, look at your bank account right now. Figure out something that you can go buy this afternoon that's above that bank account, right? And then by next week, you will have a nice story of knowing and learning something the hard way, right? Like, we've all done it. We've all put ourselves there. This word actually is talking about to know by experience. Now, let me correct one of our thinking. There, every once in a while, we think, I need to kind of blow it in life so I learn how to do it the right way. We don't actually find any passage in the Bible that supports that. We don't find anything that says, go out there and just really sin it up, right, so that you can learn how to live correctly. Like, there's nothing like that, right? But in this passage, this particular word is used, gnosko, and it means to learn by experience, meaning this, that you're going to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It means when you choose to abide in Christ and to live, to hold on to him, to dwell with him, you actually learn how to live. You learn a different way. And you're learning that. You know that that knowledge is truth. That is God's truth. And it sets you free. It sets you free. That's what he's saying. You're learning this by experience. I remember one time, uh, this was early on, like fifth grade, when I had met my friend Mark Lightfoot. And I mean, we knew each other, but knew each other from school. And you know that first time you know each other from school, but now you're going to go to each other's house, right? And so it was summertime. He invited me over to his house. They had a pool. Um, and so we were going to go over and get in his pool. And he said, we're in the backyard. You know, I mean, this is back. We're talking on phones in our house, right? And we're in the backyard. Come on over, right? Now, there's no Google Maps, obviously, over to his house. We lived in the same neighborhood. This is Southern California. And so I started out on my skateboard over to his house, and I went down the cul-de-sac that I thought was his house at the end of the cul-de-sac, just like he indicated, right? And the gate was just on the left of the house, just like he indicated. So I went through the gate and into the backyard. But there was no pool in the backyard. There were people in the backyard, but no pool. And I learned very quickly, this is not the Lightfoot residence, right? And the awkwardness of being somebody, uh, you know, fifth grader, standing in some stranger's backyard, uh, I learned by experience very clearly where Mark Lightfoot lived. And I never made that mistake again in my life. I've also never made the mistake of going to someone's house, the wrong house, again in my life, because I check and double check now. That's what this word is getting at, that we learn by our actual experience. But what is that experience? Not bad things. It's abiding in Christ that teaches us about truth. You could say it this way. Just because I might say a prayer and invite Jesus into my heart, which is the moment of salvation, doesn't mean I have this full understanding of the truth of God. It is when I choose now to abide in him after receiving that salvation and growing and learning and putting my trust 
in all my decisions and all my ways in him, I start to learn truth, his truth. And it sets me free. It sets me free. In fact, I think there's been a danger at times, hear this, that we've actually taught theology this way. Say a prayer, become a Christian, that's salvation. No problem with that theology. Everything should be good now. Your life has changed in a snap. You know the truth in a snap. You're free in a snap. But if we look at this, that's not what Jesus is speaking of. He's talking to people who have already put their faith and hope in Jesus. They already believed in him. And now he is teaching them how to understand the truth of God by living out and becoming a continual learner of Jesus Christ. I think the same is absolutely true for us. How do you, I know my experience? How do I know by experience? See verse 31. See what we just talked about, and that's where we find this. Of course, the religious leaders, they, they've got a little, um, uh, or, or the people he's talking to, the believers, not the religious leaders, they've got a little rebuttal. They, they're confused, as, as they often are, and we often are, right? So no problem clarifying with Jesus. Here's what they say, verse 33. They answered him, we're Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now, this is very interesting because as they're saying this, they're saying, well, look, we've never been in captivity to anyone because we're Abraham's descendants, right? Now, is that true biblically? Like, do you know a bit of your Bible? Is that accurate in any way? No, not accurate at all. Um, they must have heard the question and been thinking in some other terms because if we would remember, they were slaves for quite a while in Egypt, right? Do you remember the story? Yeah, Joseph brought his family over, fed them during the famine. They decided, hey, this place is nice. We'll just call this home. The Israelites grew to a great number. The new Egyptian pharaoh said, this is not good for us, and so decided to make them slaves. That's why Moses came in the picture. Let my people go. Do you remember that story? Right? It wasn't because they were free. So they must have forgot about that. Now, remember, they celebrate festival every year, celebrating and honoring God releasing them from captivity. But yet they say we've never been slaves to anyone. Do you remember another time? Yeah, they were slaves in Babylon. Bab the Babylonians came in, wiped them out, killed most of them, took others into captivity, right? Left some remnant to, to stay in Jerusalem. They no longer could be a strong city anymore. The others went with them. The best of the best went with them to Babylon. That's where we get those stories about Daniel in, in the Bible. They're in exile. They're in captivity during that time. Do you remember how many years they were in captivity? Do you remember? Yeah, 70. I heard on both sides. 70 years they're in captivity, and they actually... They celebrate this every year that Nehemiah goes back to rebuild the wall. And yet they say, we've never been slaves to anyone. They're also disregarding something in the present, in the Gospels, right? What's happening in the Gospels? Remember, they are under captivity of the Roman Empire. They're under oppression. They don't have their freedom. They're under this umbrella where the Roman Empire just says, listen, under this little umbrella, move about how you want, but don't dare step out of line here. And we see ways that they stepped out of line. There's a reason that crosses line the roads into Jerusalem. It was occupied by the Romans. You get out of line, you will end up on a cross. 
And so they're forgetting all of this. Or they're thinking about the question in a totally different way. Here's what I think they're thinking. I think they're answering Jesus this way. They're saying, listen, we're the chosen ones, remember? We're the chosen ones. Whatever you're saying doesn't really apply to us. They still see themselves in in some position. We're the chosen ones. You know, sometimes for us, we, on a day like this, we can actually see ourselves as Americans as kind of the chosen ones throughout the world. As if this is, you know, this is the new Israel, right, of the Old Testament, God's chosen people. It's not. We're not. We see it no indication of that, right? Other than, I mean, we're founded on Christian principles. That's wonderful. That's been a blessing uh, for us. But certainly not like someone coming to Abraham and saying, you will be a great nation. They looking at this and just saying, look, we're the chosen ones. Remember Jesus? And I think Jesus could have, if he wanted, looked around and said, hmm, how's that going for you? All right? How has it been going for you? Jesus replies instead this way. Verse 34. Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Do you ever have little passages that you might read it and you go like, hmm, I'm not sure exactly what that means. So you just move on to the next passage and just say, I'm going to put that one on the side. You know, it's like when people, somebody answers you questions in a game show, you know, and you say, all right, pass. And I'll come back to that. And, you know, the timer never allows time. Um, I pass on some of these passages every once in a while and, and, and often I don't get back to them. This is a time we better not pass on this. He says, very truly, I tell you, it's not in your notes, but do you remember what very truly means? It means amen, amen, right? That's the, that's the actual phrase, amen, amen. And do you know what the word amen, amen means? Well, it sounds very similar to what? Amen at the end of a passage, at the end of a prayer, right? We don't say amen at the end of a prayer because we're saying the end, right? Um, we are saying, I'm in agreement. That's what the word amen Amen means. So here Jesus is saying very truly, it's an emphatic phrase, right? It's like when we say this to somebody, like we want to tell them something and we start off and we say, listen, I'm not even kidding. And then we tell our story. That's an emphatic way of saying what I'm about to tell you is true. I'm not joking here, right? Jesus is emphatically saying very truly, amen, amen. I I mean this, I mean this, what I'm about to tell you. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus is spiritualizing something where they say, look, we're the chosen ones, right? We don't need to worry about this stuff. And Jesus says, no, you need to because every person who sins is a slave to sin. Now, there's three different definitions for sin in the New Testament, right? Our time doesn't allow us to walk through those all. But this phrase right here is a continual habitual sin. That's the tense of the word. And so what's happening here is Jesus saying, everyone who chooses to remain in sin, everyone who chooses to say, listen, this is how I'm going to live my life, deal with it. Everyone who chooses that to remain habitually in that, or who is maybe addicted to a certain sin and is choosing to do nothing about it. Man, I wish I didn't do this. Well, why don't you get some help? Nah, right? That's how he's speaking here. Everyone who remains in sin is what? A slave to sin. Slave to sin. Here's the term slave that they would have understood. Bound to. This was actually a term. It shows up in the New Testament. You will see it in non-biblical writings to describe this time in history. Uh, 
this is what it actually, the, the context, this bound to is this. You get so in debt to someone that in order to pay off your debt because you have no money, you offer yourself and your service to them. So like I get you know, so in debt to my buddy Dan here, right, that I say, Dan, here's what I'm going to do. Look, I don't have cash, right? Cut me a break. I will come work for you. I'll be at your house at 7 in the morning. I'll work till 7 at night. I'll do it every single day. How many days? And Dan says, well, in my conversion rate, that's going to take you five years. I'm like, five years. But I got no other option, right? Because I got to pay off my debt. That was the indentured servitude that was understood. And so when Jesus says this here, he's not saying, look, you're a slave, as in somebody came over, grabbed you captive, brought them, kidnapped you, and made you work for them. Jesus is saying, you put yourself into this. You put yourself in. That's the term that's being used, so we want to use it in the right context so we understand what Jesus is communicating. You are bound to this because you put yourself in this position. And he says there, and this is interesting, a slave has no permanent place with the family. He's saying, look, it doesn't matter how much I spend time at Dan's house, 12 hours a day working. He can come out and bring me lemonade and we can chat. It doesn't matter. I won't really be considered family. It doesn't work that way when I'm bound in this way to him. He says when we're bound to sins, we don't have this permanent place. We will never have this connection with God when we are bound to sin. There's no way to abide in Christ to hold to Christ, to be like that pregnancy term where we're we're being nourished with all Christ has to offer us when we choose to stay bound to sin. It doesn't work that way. But he finishes it off. He says, but a son belongs to it forever. An heir belongs forever. Here's what, when we look at this, this phrase, live in, it's actually the same word that we find here where it says this, but a son belongs, see that word belongs in this translation? That's the same word live in. The word is manai, and it simply means live in, like we already talked about. It's the same word that was just used in verse 31 that we just talked about. You can see the translators are just using a different English word to help us understand exactly what it means. So the key here is we have to transition from a slave to an heir. Transitioning from that mentality of being a slave, from binding ourselves to sin to being an heir. That's where our permanent home resides. That's where we find this freedom we're talking about. It's it's like asking the question, why would I come to Christ yet choose to stay bound to something? So the transition from a slave or indentured servant in Jesus' terms here to an heir. Well, how do we do that? We find in verse 36, he says, so if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Now, we've already learned there that what we're talking about when Jesus setting a free, it has to do with living in him, abiding in him. When we come and we say, Jesus, come into my life, be the Lord of my life. I want to become a follower of Jesus. That is day one. Salvation has come to you. But Jesus wants to set you free as well. And we find freedom 
as we live and we grow and we abide and we dwell in him. In this passage is emphatically saying, if the son sets you free, listen, you'll be free. You will receive freedom and you'll understand freedom indeed. That's a key thing to remind yourself of, that living in Christ sets you free. That if you live in Christ, yet you're bound in some way by sin or your, or your own sin, or maybe it's a, a secret sin that you're just afraid to confess because if they knew, if someone else knew, if my spouse knew, if my kids knew, and, those, and you remain and you decide to stay bound, or if it's something that you're just like, this is just who I am, deal with it, God. This is, now, I don't know if we're ever bold enough to actually say it with those words, but that's how we live it out at times. And we just, hey, every, no one's perfect, right? We use phrases like that. I'm not perfect, I'm forgiven. You know, as if, if I say it, I'm not perfect, I'm forgiven, that kind of magically covers everything and makes it okay for me to keep on sinning in that way or being bound in that way. Think about it. What does Paul have to say about that later? How does he understand what Jesus is saying when it comes to that? Take a look at, and I put it in your notes, Romans six fifteen. Then What then? Shall we sin because we're under the law, but un, not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to somebody as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. That's how Paul understood it. Should we just continue to sin because we're saved by grace? No way. And I love how he says it at the end, verse 17. Like, take a look at it. You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that now claimed your allegiance. Like I said, yes, it captured my allegiance, but I've come to obey it. I've learned more and more about what it means to abide in Christ and obey his teachings, and I have said, yes, I will follow that. And what is the result? I am not a slave to that sin anymore. I am, in his terms, he says, a slave to obedience, to righteousness. That is where I've chose to put my allegiance. What's the point he's getting at? Free, as it's determined here, as it's talked about here, means you don't have to sin any longer. Now, I know somebody, right away, your theology says, we're still going to make mistakes. We're still going to blow it, right? Put it in the context of what we just talked about. You do not have to be a slave to that sin. You don't have to be bound to that. You don't have to go to that and offer yourself to that any longer so that some way you can pay off your debt, that's gone, doesn't exist anymore. Now, we sometimes choose to still go to that door, and I think God shakes his head going, why? Why would you go to that door? But we don't have to go there anymore. We're not bound by that any longer. We have freedom from that. Simply put, you can say no. You can say no because the nature that's within you, that God puts in you when we want to dwell in and abide in Christ is one that understands that, that slavery and captivity. In Christ, there is freedom. 
And so I want to encourage you in that way today. We would be foolish, naive, silly to think that sin does not still attack, that sin, sin does not still seek its way to grab hold and bind us. We're just a lot more private. And so we hold those things in. We understand we don't have the same revival services you might have grown up with at four or five years old where, where there was a big call to the altar, confess your sins. We're, we're such a private culture now, and those are hard to pull off the same way. But don't be so naive to think that that doesn't mean we, we don't at times have a sin issue to deal with still. And that there are times, even without us realizing we've done it, where we put ourselves back into a form of captivity. And it's sneaky. And the reminder today on a day like this that Jesus actually uses the phrase, you will be free indeed. You'll be free indeed. Now, this passage has been used in a lot of different ways to support a lot of different things. But Jesus is using it in this term to speak about freedom from sin, from a stronghold, a captivity. Listen, if in any way that that is snuck back into your life, remember who he's talking to? Believers. They needed to hear this or Jesus wouldn't have said it. If Jesus had just thought, hey, you know, you guys aren't all perfect, but, you know, you're getting it. You're all right. He would not have shared this type of passage. He knew this was still a challenge and a problem. Paul would not have come back and shared what he did in Romans, and he actually picks up the theme in 1 Corinthians as well, unless this was not an issue for Christians, believers, to constantly be reminded of, that there is a place to still lay our sin down, and there's a place to go to abide to overcome as well. And I'm inviting you to that this morning, even as early as 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, inviting you to do that kind of business. So let me pray, and I'll lead you in that. Father, thank you for the strength of this passage and the, and the thump that it gives. Lord, I know personally in my own life, I, just, I walked away thinking, Lord, you have some, Lord, you have some selfishness within my heart to work with me on. Selfishness, obviously, is the core of the word sin. When I choose myself over choosing what Christ has to offer, Lord, and I can see in my own ways. And so, Lord, I know that for me, studying this passage, there was confession. Father, I believe there's probably somebody sitting right here right now. Even if they are not ready to verbally declare it to the world, much less the person sitting next to them, there is a confession they need to make before you. There is a sin that has found a sneaky way in that's holding them captive in some form. And Father, this morning, would you, like your word teaches us, would you lead them to confess? If we would confess with our mouth. You're Lord over that. You're Lord over that sin. If we would confess our sins, you're faithful and just. You'll forgive us. So Father, lead us in that way. May we make confession. Lord, for somebody in here, it probably has to do, the issue probably has to do with they're just not abiding in you daily. They're getting some Sunday morning fix. They may be getting a five-minute devotional fix, but there is an ongoing daily abiding that you're calling them to so that they truly understand your truth and the freedom that comes from it. Father, would you draw them to that? 
Father, could they draw close to you, opening your word and living in you, making lists of ways that you are challenging them to change decisions and change behaviors in their life. And then, Lord, would you be revealing to their heart and mind what your truth is. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad you chose to come out uh, on this morning. So good to see you. I don't know, fuller. We're not quite there in COVID terms yet, but it's so good to see uh, many more uh, faces on Sunday morning, especially in our 9 o'clock service. Remember, the challenge before you, invite someone for the next three weeks, at least one person a week for the next three weeks. You probably have a name.